All right, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to, where do you think? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23. And also in your, your scripture journal if you brought that with you. If you want to use that, mark some things down, keep some notes, that's there for you. Let's begin with prayer. Gracious God, we thank you today for your word, for your spirit who speaks to us through your word. We pray right now that you would calm our hearts, that you would open our ears, you'd soften our hearts too so that we would be able to receive from you your word. God, we live in a culture that in so many ways rejects your truth. And yet we hold that it brings life. That it brings joy. And it holds your, your sacred promises. What you have done and what you will do. And so right now, Lord, we just submit ourselves to the authority of God that is found in your word. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if some of you think, wow, oh, if there was things that I could write down a list of all the things that I love, that I enjoy, it would be a pretty big book. Maybe some of you are like, nah, I don't really know if I'd say that I, I love that, right? Maybe I, I really enjoy that. I really like that. I have this, this challenge as I, I do look at this day and say, okay, it is, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and I, and I do, do I love football? I don't know. I really enjoy watching football. There's all the drama. There's just the athleticism. I'll tell you quite clearly, I'm not really too concerned about the fact if Taylor Swift shows up today or not. I, I care about the game. And uh, there's, there is a few of us among this crowd that are like, I want to watch the game. And so sometimes we, we actually, we love watching the game alone. <laughs> because often there's a, there's a party or there's something and it's just like, oh, it's distracting. And people are like, don't you care about the game? So I kind of care about the game. And so if you, you know, if you text me or message me somewhere, you know, this afternoon around 4.35, 6, 7, probably till 10 o'clock, I probably won't answer. I don't want to know what you're, what you're thinking about, <laughs> about the game. Because I'm usually, I usually watch, I'm usually behind. I, I don't like really watching a lot of the, the talking stuff during halftime or even the halftime show. I just want to watch the game. Uh, and so I'm, I'm often behind. So I don't want to, I don't want to know uh, anything. I won't answer. That's basically what I'll tell you. But do I love it? I don't know. Like, it's, I really enjoy football. And there's other things I, I, that I enjoy. You know, you've heard me talk about motorcycles. You talk about things. I, there's things that I say, we would say, oh, I just love being out in the mountains. I love going for coffee with a friend. I love, you know, just even being, having my time of, of solitude. The things that we say, I, I love that. And we, we realize that, the language of love, when we talk about that word love, we, we in the church and faith, we would say, yeah, there's, there's often a, a minimizing of what the Bible actually calls love, what it speaks to about love. 
And so as we've been in this text in Galatians, and we've seen in chapter 5 where we've been, is, is in the context of this, this kind of this contrast between the works of the flesh and the now entering into discussing some of the components, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And so the, the, the works of the flesh, works being plural, and, and he kind of lists some of them. This isn't a complete list. But then going to the fruit, and the fruit being singular. And this is how the Spirit pours out into our lives as we've responded to Christ in faith. We've been regenerated, born again, and now the, the acts of the, the Spirit become evident in our life, whereas the works of the flesh, and as we described, this is, this is something that is, is describing, Paul is describing the, the flesh, the works of the flesh, the sinful desires are dominating the life of this person. It's a present tense, living a settled disposition towards sin. Selfish ambition, sinful desires, it's a, it's a habitual, hard-hearted rebellion against God and the works of his spirit. It's not just, you know, the occasional, you know, lapse that we have as humans, even as Christians. All right, so here's the, the verse as we've been going through and will continue for the next while. Galatians 5, to 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so today, we'll look at the fruit of the Spirit, love. Now, in English, as we've ta been talking about, the word love is kind of all-encompassing. It's used in all kinds of ways. But in Greek, and you've probably heard, you know, in your time, if you've been a part of church, lots of maybe sermons on this. When I come to a text and, it, and the focus is love, uh, sometimes it's a little bit, you know, overwhelming as a pastor because there's so many avenues of love in Scripture. And so in Greek, the, in the ancient Greek, which most of the, the New Testament is written in, in biblical you know, Greek, there were up to seven terms that were used to describe particular types of love. Now, they're not all included in, in the, the Scripture in the New Testament, but this was part of their, their Greek culture and language. So there's eros, which was romantic sexual love. Storge, a family love. And this is, this is a love, as, as Carson mentioned, Luke and Johanna having, having Hetty. You know, you have a, a child, and it's just this, the love that you have for your child is that type of love. Then there's phileo, a friendship or, or brotherly love or affection. But the word that it's primarily used in the New Testament for the love of God and the kind of love that we as his children should have is what? What do you think? Agape. Agape. And that's the love that we will focus on today. This was not a new term. It had been used for hundreds of years. But the New Testament writers, Paul and John in particular, they use this term agape, and they, in a way they sort of redefine it or define it specifically in terms of the love of God and how he demonstrated that love. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his agape 
in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the way that we can see what love is. It's truly the highest form of love, a self-giving, self-donating love. Now we know that this is just not the way that God loves, but it is who he is. If we know God, we know love. If by faith we have received Christ, he has given us who he is by his spirit. In Romans chapter 5, it says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you are a King James person, you have it. It says his love, God, his love has been shed abroad in our lives, into our hearts. And it's the t- same term that is used when we come to the table and we receive communion and we talk about that his, the cup represents what was, was poured out for us. And so God pours out his love into our hearts. And he does that through his spirit. And so this love has its origin, its source in God. And then it is poured out, reproduced, shed abroad as the fruit of his spirit is in us as his children. All right, so there's lots of ways, lots of things have been written about love of God and particularly agape. And so we're just going to simplify it a little bit and use a, a definition uh, to guide us. And so this is, this is simply it, agape, selfless or sacrificial love. It's a love that desires and works towards God's best for another, regardless of how I feel. And this requires a choice of my will and an action. Now this is what is critical. Love and this agape love, it's not, it's not devoid of emotion or feeling. It's just not driven by that. It's regardless of how I feel. And so we're going to look today at uh, ways that we are instructed. Who are we instructed specifically to love in this way? And first of all, we talk about love for God. The words of Jesus, he said, love, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He talks about it in other places. If, if you love, this is, this is where all the law, all the prophets, everything hangs on that commandment to love. Without love, it doesn't matter. Love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind your strength, everything that you are. He's saying this, basically simplifying that statement. Everything you are as a human, love God with everything that you have. And so God invites us into a love relationship. It's not not supposed to be just like he's a cosmic entity. He is the, the, you know, the the one thing that has even, even created us and then just departed and left us to be on our own. He's created us for relationship with him, to enter into a loving relationship with him. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
When you come across that statement in your Bible, you should highlight that because that's mind-blowing. Jesus is saying, as the Father has loved him, as the Father, Son, and Spirit live in a, a dynamic love relationship and have always been that. He didn't create love. God is love and functions in that relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. But then he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's going to be an incredible, simple statement coming at you here, but if anything, out of this time together, this message, the songs that we've sing, sung and the words that I'm presenting to you, if you miss this, then you miss it all. But take this with you, that God loves you. He loves you. Until you understand that, it will be incredibly difficult for you to experience love for others. You know, we can. Like, we, we would say the general human population, apart from, apart from God, can they love? Yes. They've been created in the image of God. They don't live under his rule and reign. They haven't submitted to him as Lord of their life. They don't have the spirit. But they can still love. They can still exhibit some of these virtues of, of just being human. They can be kind. But to the fullest potential and to what God calls us to, and also the motive that we have as being as submitting ourselves to Christ and saying that my life, my purpose, is to glorify God. And to do that, I'm going to surrender myself to the Spirit. And when I do that, then I'm going to love like I wouldn't be able to love as just another human. There's a higher calling for us as children of God to love as our Father loves. And so he invites us into relationship with him, and he says, now remain in my love. So there's an initial step, and that is to discover that God loves you. So if that was, it was something new to you today, to hear that, that God loves you, start there. When you read his word, absorb you know, soak in the clear message of Scripture that says that God, He created you. He calls you into relationship with Him. And He did everything that was required for you to have that relationship through Jesus. And now He says, I'm going to give you my Spirit and will empower you to actually live the Christ-like life. So start there. Understand that God loves you. Now, here's a little takeaway that I had from this weekend from some of our presenters at this Youth Workers Conference. And they did a, a global survey. And sometimes surveys, statistics, get, you get kind of lost in all this stuff. But the one takeaway that seemed very evident, very clear, for this was for youth. I think it was like 14 to 17-year-olds. But I think that it would probably be applicable to everyone, my guess, but they found this as far as when they said, what is the impact of reading scripture in your life as far as your decision making, as far as your intimacy with God, as far as you, you walking in obedience to, to God? What is the, the impact, the tipping point? And they discovered that it was reading God's word four times a week. Now, 
don't hear this in a way of what we've been talking about with the Judaizers and this is the list and this is the requirement, this is the formula, this is the performance test and everything. That's not what it's saying. It just said that they found in this survey, in this study of thousands of students all over the world that when it was three times a week or less, it made very little impact on their life. But four seemed to be the tipping point. Soaking in God's word, meditating on it, discussing it with friends, not, not just the, you know, talking about the sacred quiet time. It's actually just engaging in scripture four times a week was noticeably that that was a tipping point that actually it caused people to understand what God wanted for them, who God was, and just developing a deeper relationship with God. So I just put that out to you because I found that was, that was interesting. So again, don't go away thinking this is, this is the rule, this is the, the formula. Just, just evaluating, assessing. This was an analytical, you know, the analysis saying, hmm, four times a week seems to be potentially a tipping point. And where are you at with that? See, because if we don't actually absorb God's word, we don't soak in it, meditate on it, read it, memorize it, study it, chances are your, your God starts to look a lot like you. It's just what happens. See, our, our love for God is not to be driven by feelings. It's but a choice. And so today we say we choose to love God. And we respond to his love even when we don't completely understand how he is working in our lives. John 14, Jesus says, love for God means walking in obedience to his commands. He says, if you love me, you will do what I command. How can we love like this? Again, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not us working harder, trying to manufacture love. How can we love like this? It's only by the Spirit of God working in us. All right, then we're told to love for neighbor. We have love for neighbor. The second, Jesus says, is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? This is what was asked of Jesus, and he went into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and if you're familiar with it, guy's walking along, and he gets beat up, robbed, left for dead in a ditch, right? And these religious leaders and people, they come by and they have excuses and they walk on by. They, they are not to be bothered until a good Samaritan. And this Samaritan was one that was despised, not a hero in the culture. And yet he takes the time, cares for this guy lying there in the ditch, brings him to help, pays for his medical bills. And so Jesus asks, the one who asked him this. Who was the neighbor? This is the one who helped him. Who is my neighbor? It means stepping in. It means choosing to act. Where James as well in his book says, you know, faith without works is dead. So you're not saying, well, I see you there. Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But you do nothing about their needs. What good is that? When I was in, in college, one of my uh, first preaching classes, we listened to a sermon by Haddon Robinson, I think is his name, 
but I remember it very well. We was about the Good Samaritan, and he defined a neighbor as anyone whose need you see, and God puts you in a position to meet that need. Simple as that, and I remember that to this day. A neighbor is anyone whose need you see, and God puts you in a position to meet that need. See, there might be some people that aren't just in your sphere, in your sphere of influence or around you that, you know, you could pray for them, you could help in some way. But your neighbor, someone that's, that's, in, that's in front of you, that crosses paths with you. And it doesn't even have to be here. I mean, it could be anywhere in the world these days where you could hear about a need and say, am I a neighbor to that person? Because I've heard about it, and actually I could do something about it. I could show love and do it. How can we love our neighbor like this? You might be a really generous person. You might be kind and exhibiting all kinds of, of things of virtue in your life. But when it's the Spirit of God that is developing the fruit, His, his fruit in your life, then you're going to step into those situations. You're going to be moved to help. You're going to be moved to love. So how can we love our neighbor like this? It's only by the Spirit working in us. Love for family. Now when I say family, this is, I'm speaking of the church. See, a family that we are a part of as believers, like we were never meant to, to live the Christian life in isolation. We were meant to be part of a family to walk alongside brothers and sisters. You can go through Scripture and count all the times in the New Testament that it talks about the one another's. Not to be meant to live on your own. In our church family here, we have children. We have youth. We have singles. We have those who are divorced. We have widows and widowers. You are our family. Your family. In our church, we have those who are married with and without children. Your family. In those who are married, this is what we hear and give instructions in regularly, is that a husband's love for his wife is to be agape love, self-sacrificing Paul tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do? He gave himself for her. Here's my little word to, uh, to those of you, uh, you know, in the situation for Valentine's you might find yourself in this week. Perhaps more than, than flowers or chocolate. I don't actually know if that's something that people do anymore. I guess I should look at myself in the mirror. Have I done that? Um... Ask, you know, maybe ask uh, your spouse what they, what they like. But the idea is that you would, it would probably be best if you would show this agape love for your spouse by serving them sacrificially, seeking their best. Wives, too, you're called to love your husbands in this way. It's an act of will, desiring the best for your husband, not merely an emotion. Galatians 6 verse 10, we're going to get to that later on in a few weeks, but it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
Love your brothers, love your sisters, love the family. Jesus said that the way that we love each other will be an identifier of those belonging to him. By this, all men, all people will know that you are my disciples if you agape one another. Now listen, this is why it was such a big deal in the church that that Paul is writing to, these churches in Galatia. We read about the works of the flesh. These were things that were happening. There was dissensions. There was strife. Disunity was working among them. And that kind of disunity, that destroys the witness of the church. See, if the family of God can't love each other, how can unbelievers see the love of God? How can we love like this? Only by the Spirit working in us. Finally, we're told to love our enemies. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is next level, right? Next level love. It's easier to love the one who loves you, cares for you, works for your good. But what if they don't? What if they actually hurt you, seek to harm you, destroy you, tear you down? The way of Jesus is to agape enemies, to seek to bless rather than curse, to seek peace rather than revenge, to desire and work for God's best in their life, to forgive when they wrong you, even if they aren't asking for forgiveness. How can we love like this? Only by the Spirit working in us. Okay, we're going to close with um, a powerful scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, I want to invite us to stand as I read this over us. And I, as you read this, you might say, this is, this is tangibly, practically, in many ways, what agape love looks like. So receive this uh, today. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. And you might say, how, how could we love like that? Who loved like this? Jesus loved like this.
that the spirit of Jesus dwells in us who believe. And so we can also love like this through him. I invite you to take a seat, and I'm just going to give you a couple minutes as you reflect on this just quietly. What is the Spirit? What is the Spirit saying to you right now? And maybe there's, maybe there's a person, maybe there's a need, maybe there's a situation where you just need the Spirit to give you strength to love in one of these ways. So pay attention.